Welcome to the Underhand Free Throw. It's a basketball podcast with Ian and Simon. I'm Ian. And I'm Simon. And it's it's award banquets night over here. It's getting really glitzy and glamorous. Simon and I are both wearing really elegant dresses and people are asking us lots of questions about them and it's a it's a big deal is the nba still doing the award banquet thing that's still a thing right wasn't that postseason like it's it's after the you know yeah. the playoffs are over it's kind of when people have stopped thinking about the nba season and if you are thinking about basketball at all you're probably more thinking about the draft than than what happened over the last eight months which was always just really odd timing to me but you know, there's not really much breathing room in between the end of the season and when the playoffs kick off. So I don't know when else they would do it either. I think it was just an extra opportunity for them to get some attention. And it was a, since it was a new sort of thing, they're like, yeah, we get, you know, NBA stars like exhibiting their fashion. I don't ever like I don't know Have you ever watched it. Like it's never a, it's never been a thing. For, I think of like, you know, great excitement for diehard NBA fans besides just sort of the media spectacle but I'm, I'm down for the media spectacle I don't I don't maybe I should be more into the awards banquet last time I saw it I think was when James Harden was making a big deal out of you know winning the the players MVP or was that Russell Westbrook making a big deal out of winning the players vote for James Harden's MVP I mean it, it was one of them <laughs> I don't, I don't remember the order exactly. I remember those two guys were involved. One of them won the real award. One of them won like the player's choice vote. And yeah, that was several years ago at this point. Hey, we're here for the drama, right? So that's that, that event is an opportunity for that. Even, you know, we're, we're going to be a little bit less drama oriented, though. I do think sometimes like sometimes when people are making arguments for players to make the all NBA team or to win any of these awards, I, it does sometimes feel a little bit more like a you know, who's the most interesting player of the year or like, you know, who was the the players that captured our, our hearts, minds and imaginations the most in the year 2023, where obviously a lot of other people try to approach it as pragmatically as possible and make it all about a basketball impact. Do you, do you have a way you like to define your criteria? Well, I like to do kind of a mix of both. Yeah, I, I definitely lean more like overall two-way impact, I would say is kind of my tendency, but I do take team record into account. Even if a guy doesn't like have the most off the page, like on off splits or anything. And then in terms of, I I will say the one thing that I absolutely love the, uh, the new CBA announcement was just made a few days ago during this past week. And one of the most wonderful things I think in that entire agreement is we now have a games requirement for these all NBA teams, because I know both me and you have been getting really sick of these arguments where people are trying to quantify, like, how many games does a player have to miss before we got to start holding it against them? And, you know, getting into these discussions where it's like 58 games, no penalty, 53 games played, huge penalty towards all NBA. I was just sick of it, honestly. But the NBA has come up, or I guess collectively what the players union has agreed upon 65 games being the cutoff and that is actually i know i'm a year in advance here but that is actually how i formed my nba teams i cut some guys off the teams that are not going to hit that 65 game requirement maybe it's a little premature because i know that's not how the voting works this year but i have just been desperately hoping for just some number to just be this is how many games you got to play to make an all nba team and now we have that number so i was just excited to get started so you're going to be cutting a lot of a lot of players tonight yes, yes. <laughs> no this doesn't 
I got a big as list a of Blazers, cuts myself, but I think as you, a Blazers fan, I wouldn't say this game's requirement, you know, if it's my personal interest, but, yeah. but I'm trying to be fair and objective here. I, I just wanted a number. I don't care what the number is. You know, it could yeah. have been 41 games. Well, I was trying to figure this out. If the NBA out. was like, play half the season and you can make an all-NBA all NBA team, I'm cool with that. It just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to know. I was trying to decide on a criteria, and I think it, I think it might have been just like one or two days before they came out with the big CBA announcement, announcing that 65 games as a requirement. I, do, I have heard mixed reviews on how flexible that's going to be. But I guess we'll see when it actually kicks in. I was just, I was mm-hmm. more looking, you know, both at past years and also the players that were eligible this year. And I settled in actually on 2,000 minutes. Although, like, okay. like 2,000 minutes provided a pretty clear where if you were over 2,000 minutes, like, there were still some, you know, slightly questionable players on that list. But 2,000 minutes is a, is a, is a healthy, healthy number at least where it's like the players that were clearly not in or not touching 2000 minutes there's a couple players we'll get into that kind of are going to finish the season right on the line or just a little bit under or over and you know maybe then it gets tricky i think 65 is i mean like you know we'll talk about the players this year but there's a lot of guys who aren't going to hit 65 like you know including some mvp candidates maybe depending on how the last couple games unfold yeah, I mean, if it was close, if it's like they've played 62 and their team has four games left, they might end up resting two games and only playing 64. But the fact that they're close enough, like, I'm not going to be super rigid. It's more like guys who have played 56 games and they have three games left, you know. Yeah. Those are more the guys I'm leaving off. Yeah. You want to start with the... You want to start with the... What position you want to start with? Let's 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 save the centers for later, because that's maybe the best way to transition into... Oh, you want to do, like, all the guards for all three teams? Oh, the guard. Yeah, yeah. We could do it that way. Yeah. I mean, what, what format did you have in mind? I kind of had grouped things into forwards, guards, and and centers oh. rather than... Because okay. it's easier to compare players who are competing for those positions grouped that way. If we're just talking about first, yeah. second, and third, they're not. It's only a couple players who are competing for those spots, right? No, I like that. I was initially just going to say like, let's read off our whole first team, then second team. But yeah, we can we can do guards. That way, there's more debate over, you know, you had this guy second team, I had him third, you know, and so on. Hmm. Well, let's start off then if we're going if we're talking about guards because I think like. There's like a minimum of 10 All-NBA guards for six spots this year, as well as like a couple, a lot yep. of people I consider locks. I'm going to, spoiler alert, there's really only one spot available on my guard list with much debate in my mind. But I'll start mm-hmm. with injury cuts. So players that I'm not eligible in my criteria are Devin Booker, Desmond Bain, and Tyrese Halliburton. And then Jaw okay. is probably going to clear 2000 minutes but it's going to be like it's going to be borderline it's going to be close yeah yeah so i didn't like i wasn't quite sure what to do with jaw but when they're right on the line it's like i'm totally fine with them being debated for one of those spots and there's like some statistical arguments to make that jaw deserves one of those spots there's also sort of Mm -hmm. you know the on the sort of like personal and narrative side of things obviously this is not a great season for jaw and sometimes people get punished for stuff like that overly and it feels silly later when that player goes on to have a great career like i don't know like this like what like when lebron didn't win mvp because everyone just hated him or like same with like james harden didn't make an all nba team back that first that year that houston was just sort of disappointing but james Car- like you know he missed out for like like clay thompson kyle lowry and a lot of people made the team over him and it kind of looks a little bit 
suspicious looking back on it now, but uh, but I'm not sure. There's a lot of good guards this year, so I don't know if we have that problem with Jaw. Yeah, I'll say it's a little bit easier for me because the 65 game limit versus the 2000 game limit that both both Steph Curry and Damian Lillard, who previously were going to make one of my all NBA teams before this announcement came out, mm. uh, got summarily dismissed from all NBA. Uh, hey, but this the is the last year the port. This is the last year the Blazers can shut down Dame Lillard and still have him make an All NBA team. And you don't want to take advantage of this opportunity on your own podcast. I, I say that's very noble, Simon. You know, if he didn't have the supermax locked up already, maybe I'd have different feelings about it. But the man's made his money, so it's the only thing he's really missing out on here is is whatever legacy points another you know second or third team All NBA gets you. Yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, I thought about Lillard because not just because of the games played thing, but also because, of, you know, obviously the lack of success of the Blazers this year and then the way he, you know, the way he was shut down like that, you know, is it, it, it leaves a it leaves. I, I mean, I agree with the Blazers shutting him down. I think it makes sense, but it kind of leaves a sort of like, well, what was the point of the season? But then when I would like you know, run yeah. some statistical comparisons between players. And it's like, okay, but Dame's also off the charts. Like he doesn't like, you know, yes. when you, when you group him with a bunch of people and, 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 and look at all their numbers, it's like hard to put Lillard under too many people. So I do have Lillard on my WNBA teams. Sorry, you mean on all NBA teams. NBA teams. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting ready for the WNBA yeah. season. I got my Aja Wilson t-shirt on. I'm, 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 I'm ready. You know, March Madness has me, has me hyped for this WNBA season. Anyways. Yeah. The all NBA teams. Lillard is uh, making one of those on my fake ballot. I mean, I think that's fair. You know, the impact is incredible and you do see people discounting Lillard because it's like, man, you can't lead a team to even like the 10th seed in the West. But then you take a look at the Blazers roster and you realize, man, there are some major, major holes here that are not present on almost any other NBA team. I mean, we're basically rivaling a, a Dallas Mavericks supporting cast, but with no Kyrie. You know, I don't one think of the, the worst rip. Keep, keep, keep Go going. ahead. One of the worst rim protectors. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say we have one of the yeah. worst rim protectors as a starting center and no backup. You know, that's a pretty yeah. major issue. And uh, the team without Lillard No love on the for floor, Drew Eubanks ever you on know. this podcast. No love for Drew. <laughs> the team without Lillard on the floor barely even looks like an NBA team, you know. And, and with him, they're an 11 seed in the Western Conference. Like, you know, not quite in the playoff picture, but at least competitive for that spot. Yeah, and they were they were competitive for big chunks of the year. You know, things, fall, things mm-hmm. fell apart for them a few times, and they, like, you know, weren't built to really take any kind of injuries on in the rotation and stuff. And, and yeah, like I've said a few times on this podcast, I think the biggest problem, it's not so much that they have one of the weaker rim protectors in the NBA, because I think there's a bunch of teams that have weak rim protectors, is that the Blazers are built and schemed specifically to depend on that rim protector. And that's when you notice yeah. it more. It's not like they're using a scheme to use Nurkic in, in different ways. And Nurkic still had some moments this season where he looked like his old self, but on the... You know, big picture, it was it was pretty pretty bad for Yusuf. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, we yeah, we can't no more. We've we've torn up uh, we've torn up Nurk too much on this podcast. So let's uh, let's let's go into that. Let's get let's get some locks of the way. So I've, I st- and not okay. even all these locks I feel great about because all year I was sort of like uh, Luca and Shy and at different points. Sorry, Shay and at certain points Curry were were obvious locks for me. And you know, but. Now the Mavericks have had this implosion, but I still have Luka Doncic on my first team, and I have Shea Gilgis-Alexander on my first team. 
Yeah, no disagreement there. They those two guys were two out of my three locks for all NBA spots. It was just a matter of who was going on what team. But yeah, I had a. I think it actually is Shea, isn't it? Yeah, it's Shea. There was something that, or no, it it's not Shy. Everyone says Shea. I always said Shy until it. There was something where he confirmed one of the pronunciations that of his name, where a lot of people were surprised by it. I can't remember if it was Shea or Shy though. Well, we're either but... we're either doing it right or doing it wrong, but we're not going to correct it either way tonight. So, hopefully, it's Shea. I've said I, I said Shy for a long time, but uh, yeah. you know, I had a, I had a coworker for a long time with the same same spelling, so I just see Shy when okay. I look at it. But I've I've heard Shea more. I don't know why someone would make up Shea if it wasn't Shea. You know, spelled with that I at the end. <laughs> It could be an Americanization of the name. Who knows? Yeah, Canadian, Canadian, Canadianification. <laughs> but yeah, SGA. Well, I'll just say that was yeah. definitely, definitely a lock for first team. Um, and then Luca, you know, with the team success and and with his defensive fall off that he's had this season, I briefly considered bumping him down to the second team. But you know, overall, the stats and the impact are, are too overwhelming, even despite the Mavericks' relative disappointment this year. Yeah, I will say those two guards, you know, compared to almost everyone else on this list, you know, they do it a little bit different in terms of the way they can dominate the game inside the paint and the lack of reliance on the three-point shot is pretty special. Like, we're talking about two of the premier kind of like, like, Shea's just become one of the premier rim pressure players in the league, regardless of position. Like, he really, he's really slicing defenses up and putting pressure on the rim, which is rare for a guard and as exciting as as they sort of grow as a team to see how that skill is going to scale up. Like he did that all without really any shooting around him this year. So yeah, super exciting season for Shea for the Thunder. And uh, I mean, I think he's almost the the cleanest lock just in terms of how his team performed relative to expectations versus Luca sort of thing where I don't have any doubts about putting Shea in the team. Luca at least gave me some pause with how difficult the Maverick season has gone once they decided they didn't need defense anymore, that they were willing to stop playing defense for the rest of the season just for a for a smell of, of Kyrie Irving. I didn't put Kyrie on my like on my list really for kind of you know last cut considerations for this. My like I got ten guards on this list and and Kyrie, I don't know, did I just forget him or uh, he probably deserves to be on this list. He's had a like, you know, impressive yeah impressive offensive season by the numbers it just felt like i don't know part of part of like pretty frustrating times for two different franchises like Kyrie is yeah so i, I saw someone call it like you know signing Kyrie or trading for Kyrie is making a wish on a monkey's paw and i'm just like that's that, that pretty much that, that feels apt all right so who's your other lock my other lock believe it or not well do we want to get into our second team guards because i can discuss him at that point yeah we're gonna have to there's nothing left to say about okay. the first team. My other lock is, you talked me into it, Donovan Mitchell. Mm, I did oof. have him second team. He definitely became a lock after I considered the 65 games. I had Curry as a lock too prior to that. But but yeah, I have Donovan Mitchell and I have Drew Holiday on my second team for guards. Nice. Yeah, I mean, so Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I mean, I remember you saying like, what really separates Donovan Mitchell from the pack? And and you, like, you, you pushed me a little bit on it too as well because I was like, well... What is special about him? And uh, but you know, basically, out of all this group of guards we're talking about, if you if you take Dame and and Curry out of the equation, Donovan Mitchell is just mm-hmm. by far the most efficient high volume scorer out of all of these. He doesn't have the yeah. same creation numbers as. In fact, I think out of this group of guards that I'm considering, he's you know one of the 
least heaviest assist players. You know, like he plays with with a better passer in in Darius Garland. Though Donovan Mitchell has played really well in the creator role when he's been called to in the games where Darius Garland isn't playing. He's had displayed some good chemistry with the bigs. And also just like his defense came back this year. That defensive reputation he brought from mm-hmm. college was clearly on display. Like I watched a lot of Cavs games and was very rarely disappointed with Donovan Mitchell. And I was as low as anyone, as haterific as anyone on his defense in Utah. So <laughs> that was a pretty, you know, one of the most dangerous sort of like slashing pull-up guards in the in the league to just not be bad at defense anymore that's that's huge so yeah he's also he i'd say he's my he's my other guard lock as well and is on my second team for well my... i think just just to mention it like a little bit earlier in mitchell's career he wasn't a terrible defender right i mean he was defensive player of the year for his conference when he was at louisville so clearly mm-hmm. he had the ability and he has that crazy wingspan and you know plus athleticism I think it was just an effort thing in in Utah, especially during the latter stages of his his stint there. And there's another guard, actually, who I dropped from third team to honorable mention, who has had a bit of a defensive fall off just because of effort this year that we'll get to. But Mm, it's good to see that coming back with Mitchell. Nice. Yeah. So I have Curry on my second team as well. I did not disqualify him. He He was a tough one for the whole exercise because... I my instinct was to disqualify him. I, you know, he was he was out for a while, and he's got again. He's gonna be right around. He's probably gonna finish around two thousand minutes. So yeah, that's the criteria I came up with. So I'm sticking with it. But also, like he's Steph Curry is so good that he's the only player in this list that he could play a dangerously low amount of games. And I could maybe talk myself into like, ah, maybe in those 27 games Steph Curry played, he actually delivered like more impact and value than some players in this list. But, you know, I think he's he's borderline in the picture for me, minutes-wise, and then it's, it's, it's Steph Curry. And I mean, this is like one of Steph Curry's better years by the numbers. Oh, yeah. Even though, even though it was not a, you know, it hasn't been a great year for his team. We'll see how they do in the playoffs. Obviously, they can flip the narrative on that, but it's uh, it, was a, it was a gunky... It was not a fun year to be a Warriors fan, I don't think, or a Curry fan, but he played great, and yeah, he's on my second team. I think that's more than fair, you know, and if I was a real voter or something, and the rule set was that you can vote for Curry this year, and there was no games requirement, I would definitely have him on the second team. I'm just trying this new thing out, this new system out. Yeah. <laughs> that's the one and only reason he's not here. <laughs> All right, let's get to this third team. So you got, so you had Mitchell, and you had... Drew Holiday. Drew. Yeah, great. On Love the it. second team. Yep. You don't have any comments about Drew Holiday? No. Nope, Makes sense he, he, given the guys who aren't present. I, so, yeah, my, I mean, my locks were Luca and Shea and, you know, Curry and Lillard with that caveat and Mitchell, and which left me with one spot. And I looked yep. at all those players. I looked at, I made this list of players, you, you know, really specific zeroed, zeroed, zeroed in on, on six or seven other guards. And it was like, I mean, it was close and it was a bloodbath. Like even, you know, just even like, you know, from what I, like they're all great guards. I, I like a lot of them. A lot of them have really good seasons, but I mean, Drew was somewhat competitive with them offensively. And then we're just talking about an all defense first team level. You know, one of the, one of the best point of attack defenders in the NBA, one of the best screen navigators in the NBA and no one else yeah. on this list is even like in any kind of conversation defensively like we can talk about who's bad and who's not with the rest of this list but who's like who's the second best defender out of all nba like you know 
possibilities at guard. Like I don't, I don't. It's a huge gap. It's like there's yeah. not. Like I, I, it might be Shea. I don't know. Like it might be Mitchell. I would, I would say Mikhail Bridges if you're willing to mm. go really deep there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do you depending do you know, on how many guys you have on your your list in total? Yeah, I didn't have him listed at guard, even though I know he was playing guard in like he played a lot of guard this year and. I know I'm, I'm not sure what he's eligible for in the NBA thing, but I had him in my forward pool. Got no problem with anyone sliding up to guard, but I don't think Michael Bridges, Mikael Bridges, is 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 beating at any of these guards. So I thought he was just more interesting in the forward pool, mm-hmm. in the decimated forward pool that we'll get to soon. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, for all defense, the guards were um, kind of a stretch. I thought to get you know some really awesome defenders on that team, but we'll get I'm, to that later. I'm uh, pretty <laughs> mad about like. Because I, because I mean, I've, I've at least heard some whispers about who is and isn't eligible at guard on that list, and I, I'm like, I'm so over it. I'm so sick of putting four small dudes on the all defense team every year yeah. when there are when there are you know definite small forwards that yeah. get tasked every night with guarding the guards on the other team because the guards on their team can't do it. So, you know, I'm looking specifically at guys like Jade McDaniels and OG Ananobi and guys, just guys that defend all over the court. And just like, why do we have to limit them to a position and make them compete in this like bloodbath pool? Like all the best defenders in the NBA have to compete for four spots. And then like these guards get on. Now there's some great guards defenders this year that I think deserve to be on the all defense team. But like, you know, in a typical year, like I would maybe not put any guards on or put one on sort of thing. If I, if I, if I could put those sort of like big wing perimeter defenders on, if I could. So that's, that's, that's my little defense rant there, but. Yeah. I mean, well, next year, everything's positionless, right? So. Yeah. Is that for defense too, or just all NBA? (laughs) I think for everything. It'd be weird if they did it for all NBA and not the other teams too. Yeah. Give me a, give me a five center all defense team. I mean, (laughs) What would it be, right? Because it would be like, it would, it would be Brooke Lopez, Jaron Jackson Jr., Giannis would be in there, and then you'd be like, and like Evan Mobley and Nick Claxton. Like, that might be the all-NBA first team. Like, sorry, all-defense first Draymond. team. Draymond. Draymond's got to be in there. I don't have Draymond on an all-defense team this year. Okay. Well, we'll get there, too. Mm-hmm. So, for my all-NBA third team, going back to the guards, let's finish up the guards here. I mean, everyone who I have not on the teams, I was left with... You know, some more sparse selections than maybe you'd expect. But the two guys that I went with are De'Aaron Fox and Darius Garland. Those are your last two, De'Aaron Fox and Darius Garland. So 13, if, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm such a Garland fan, so I love that. I couldn't get him on my team with the less strict injury restrictions I had. Though I did have the two players that I would have put on the list. Well, I got another guy with injury concerns of his own. But my, my, my next two we're probably going to be Darius Garland and James Harden. But uh, James Harden's another would be disqualified. I mean, James Harden. Yeah, not quite enough games. Yeah, exactly. And then after that, I think it's really close. I, I, Jalen Brunson, Aaron Fox, John Morant, John Morant. And I looked a little bit at Anthony Edwards. If you like yeah. minutes, he's, he's, your, he's, your, he's your minutes player. But the scoring efficiency just isn't there yet. I do think actually on this list... What we were asking about defensively again, I think I think Ant is a much better defender than almost all these players except for Drew. But oh yeah, so I gave him a look. I don't I don't think he's a serious contender for that spot yet. But those are the players I considered, and I could be talked into a lot of ways in that. If I'm leaving Harden off for injury reasons, Michael Jaw. If I'm leaving Jaw off for injury reasons, then I'd probably go 
Brunson. What do you feel about Brunson versus Smart? Brunson Sorry, versus... Sorry, no, it's Brunson oh, versus... Brunson versus Fox. Sorry, everyone, I'm a little brain dead today it's been a it's been a oh. <laughs> it's been a long day i'm gonna mess up lots of names and anyways yeah brunson versus fox so yeah the argument for me or the dispute for me was more a brunson versus garland i gave fox a little bit mm. of a bump there just because of the team success and yep. i'm aware sabonis analytically is more of the driver of their offense than fox is but i still give fox a lot of credit for that so garland's and brunson you know jalen brunson definitely shoulders a little bit more offensive responsibility than Garland. But I just think Darius Garland is is the superior playmaker. And then also if you really dive into Such a nice you know a lot of the defensive stuff, Garland's not like blowing your socks off or anything, but he's not a liability. And Jalen Brunson's defense has really slipped this year. So that mm-hmm. is the main reason I, I ended up cutting him. I'm into it. I'm not going to say anything bad about Darius Garland on this podcast. He's one of my favorite guards in the NBA. I think, and you know, I've heard this argument made by Cavs media before, but it's an argument that tracks with me. Like a lot, because a lot of people were like, "Well, you know, Garland and and uh, Mobley and Allen, like they didn't get any better this year. Like their stats are the same as last year. Like why are you giving them more credit? It's like, well, because they added like an a, you know a high volume, high usage offensive player to their team and none of them dropped off at all like they all made like yeah. like maintaining and, and raising your efficient like maintaining your counting stats and, and keeping your efficiency or raising your efficiencies like that's a big deal like that means like if there wasn't that massive score those guys would all be capable of filling in a little bit in that role so i think the improvement there from those young guys is is a little bit hidden but i mean also yeah just watching darius garland is, is so fun to watch play he had a bit of an up and down season i feel this year but like one of the best, arguably the best, especially with Trey's poor year, just like combinations of passing and, and pull up shooting in the NBA. Like, oh yeah, and that's that's a that's a fun combination to have. That's a that's an offensive weapon to build around. I can't wait for the Cavs in the playoffs. I hope that they put it together and and pull off some upsets. And if not, you know, I'll be I'll still be buying more stock next year because the Cavs are a cool team and Darius Garland is a cool part of that team. Yeah, they have a lot of you know kind of all NBA all defensive juice. Because, you know, they have the three guys with the Garland and Mobley and Jared Allen who, you know, probably aren't making a lot of all NBA third teams or all defensive second team ballots just with how stiff the competition is for those positions. But, you know, they're all borderline, right? They're all at least in the conversation. Yeah. So you want to run through your picks just one more time? So for those listening at home, they can keep track. You went... So first team, SGA Doncic, second team, Drew Holiday, Mitchell, third team, Darius Garland, De'Aaron Fox. Cool. And I went first team, Luca and Shea, second team, Steph and Mitchell, third team, Lillard and Holiday. So, you know, we're really, it's it's just the injuries that that kept us a little bit apart on that one and, and how much we weighed that. Yep. All right. You want to move to some, you want to move into the forwards? Yeah, let's go forward much, and uh, talk yeah. about those forwards. <laughs> um, okay, the opposite um, of the guard pool. You know, we're talking about. Like, yeah, we're talking about a smaller number of guys and a smaller number of, you know, players with a certain amount of pedigree. Let's just talk about some of the players that I'm disqualifying, which means you are beyond disqualifying. You probably don't even want them mentioned in this podcast. They're so far away from your standards. But I'm leaving LeBron, Durant, Kawhi. 
All three of yeah. those players might be three of the best forwards in the NBA, but they none of them were healthy enough to make my All NBA team. That's like three of the best five forwards, you know, just gone this year. Yeah, yeah. And to add to that, you know, Paul George is right on the line, and mm-hmm. and I didn't have him. Making my team a, a less starry name on the offensive side of the ball is Jaron Jackson Jr. Is like doesn't really come close to like two minutes or games or however you want to cut it. Like he he missed a lot of time early. He missed a lot of time with foul trouble, and he's he's not I think eligible by either of our standards. And then obviously Zion doesn't doesn't even yeah. come close. Like you know it was, it was a great season exclusion yeah. this year. Yeah, things were going great, but what did he play like twenty nine games? Like. Not really happening. So that leaves us with only, you know, by my count, there's really only like three star names healthy enough to make this team, and mm-hmm. and they're all my locks. I don't know. Do you have do you have two locks or more than that? For all the all NBA teams combined, oh, I, I had yeah. four locks. Four locks. Who's that? You know, oh, is it with, with the guys that we're left with? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, out of out of that pool, I had four locks left. Yeah. So first team. Tatum, Giannis, you know, pretty simple, pretty cut and dry. Didn't have to think about it. Yeah. I will say with, I mean, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing to detract or add to anyone's case. Tatum started off the year looking like an MVP candidate and finally added that missing piece to his game with the sort of like rim driving and foul drawing and everything. But uh, I think that dried up a little bit as the year went on and as Boston kind of slowly regressed to their being basically what they were last year. And, you know, like both of us knew the hot shooting from everyone was going to dry up. But Tatum, Tatum is ever since he's entered the NBA, there's been like two versions of Tatum, two kind of concepts of Tatum. When he came into the NBA, he was almost like this kind of wing. He was sort of like the big fundamental of small forwards. Like he came into the NBA kind of like that. He was just like extremely solid at everything, really cool headed decision maker. A really good two-way player, just kind of ready to fill the gaps. And then he had that like legendary off-season training moments with Kobe Bryant, and he came back in that second year, just going full Kobe. Like I just jack, I, you know, I had a big playoff run in my rookie my rookie season. I'm just gonna jack shots. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm like, I'm a hero. And that kind of changed who he was, and kind of changed his whole trajectory as a player. Still, obviously, a huge star either way, but kind of got away from some of those. And ever since then, it's been kind of like managing of those two sort of personas and he kind of got like he started off the year being a lot more fundamental and rugged and then all of a sudden he was Mm kind of going back to being like i'll settle for a pull-up kind of no matter what like i will i will at any point in the game shift into pure hero ball pull-up artistry and you know what he's good enough that he can get away with it but i think that's the biggest difference for me with boston being like an elite offense and boston just being like a good offense that might run into problems in the playoffs against good opponents. You know, I think there's too much taken away from Jason Tatum simply because of the overall talent on the roster. Yeah, I I disagree with him not being an MVP candidate. I think, uh, I don't know how to say this exactly, but it feels like a lot of people have kind of just written him off in favor of, you know, the trio of Embiid and Jokic and Giannis. And I, I hear it brought up a lot, like he just doesn't have the production, but like, honestly, his numbers aren't much worse. And especially when it comes to two out of that, that group of three, I would say that Tatum is, you know, provides more value as a two-way player. And he's the best player on the second best team in the NBA this year. So record-wise, 
So I don't think I don't quite agree with just writing Tatum off as an MVP candidate. I I would say he's he's firmly in that mix. And I I think the MVP, it shouldn't be a top three. It should be a top four. Yeah, I I mean, I've got a bit of a dropout drop off after that top three. I just don't think I think Tatum gets big points for the versatility compared to some of the other candidates we're talking about. I think Tatum's defense is is underrated, even though everyone acknowledges he's a, a really good defender. I think he's a little bit better than a lot of fans picture him. I think some fans just kind of stop at that. Like, yeah, we know he's good at defense. Okay, moving on. But it's like, he's one of like, he's a, he should be an all defense candidate if he didn't play that forward position. But I don't think on offense, he's just bringing the same like terrifying high level one single offensive punch. You can look at the regular season and make an argument that like, well, look at Jason Tatum's efficiency and look at the points. Like, you know, look at the volume, look at the efficiency, you know, decent, like, okay creator this year but like at least you know if we're we're comparing him to Embiid or maybe even Giannis you can at least talk about his playmaking skills but I just don't think he has that one offensive punch thing that is actually just sort of like wrecking defenses like all three of those other players have like the rest of their games build out from there all three of those players are are just terrifying you have to kind of throw out everything to stop them and I think I think Jason Tatum just tops out at this sort of like you know a not a plus in that one sort of high-end skill. And that's the only thing that has him, you know, creates a meaningful gap for me between him and the other MVP candidates. But I think it's a fair argument to say, like, well, maybe he's compensating with better versatility than some of those players because he doesn't have some of the same weaknesses that they all bring. I think this is probably a way, and I'm not going to say that this is right or the the good way to do it but mm. i think i definitely have a slightly different perspective on mvp because my my assumption is the way the, a lot of people look at it is they want to come up with the guy where if you removed them from their team you'd have mm. like the largest drop off in in wins and scoring efficiency whatever right team success however you want to quantify yeah. that whereas i I don't know. I, I kind of value things like, and this is just something that a forward is inherently going to have over a big, but just the ability to kind of have versatility, both offensively and defensively. Like the clutch stuff with Tatum has been awesome this year. Yeah, I feel like he's he's a guy where you can play him off ball. You can give him the ball and have him like run pick and roll. You can have him create a, a shot. He can pretty much attack any defender like when the Celtics were playing the Bucks the other night and the Celtics won by a million points, I think one understated part of that is uh, Tatum was having Giannis switched onto him and he was just pulling up over Giannis and making jump shots anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like his, his pull-up game is really, really effective and at this point seems almost immune to whatever defense you want to throw at it. You can at least generate a pretty good shot. So, you know, Tatum isn't quite the level of offensive engine that uh, that Jokic is, definitely, and not quite as much of a destructive force as like an Embiid or a Giannis, but I think he's really close, and then the other aspects of his game just add more value through vers- versatility, two-way play, you know, just, just the fact that you can play him in any lineup, have him guard anyone, and have him play any role in the offense is really valuable, because you just can't do that with a center, you know, and, and no fault of theirs, it's how the game is played, but... You know, yeah, I, I give Tatum a slight bump for that. I mean, I, I love the versatility. I love versatile players, and Jason Tatum definitely ticks all those boxes. I'm just, yeah, I mean, my only question is whether you can add up that stuff into the sort of superpowers that the other players have that, I, yeah, I don't think Tatum 
does you want to talk for a minute about I've got some I've got some thoughts this season on 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 clutchness and and you know this does pertain to a lot of players actually at least one that we're about to talk about in the forward discussion sorry we're getting a little bit derailed okay. here but I for some reason I've been valuing that crunch time offense a little bit differently because sometimes I think it's just like it's sample size theater right it's just sort of like one player got hot in crunch time like you know Russell Westbrook won MVP in part because he was just sort of on fire from crunch time and no one's going to look back on the history of Russell Westbrook's career and call him a clutch player and so sometimes these players yeah. just kind of have like I don't know they got the juice one season because I was thinking about this with De'Aaron Fox you know when trying to decide who to who to parse credit to between Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox and because, you know, mm-hmm. the, the numbers and you watch the game and the system's more built around Sabonis and Fox is sort of doing his thing. But he has all these heroic crunch time games. And part of my, like, analytical brain wants to write that off. But part of it is, like, y- you know how we try to approach this season kind of, like, measuring a lot of teams. Like, how good is their offense? How's their, how's their defense? What's their point differential going to be? This is how we should project them. And then kind of now, like, with the season over, we still have these teams that are kind of, like, you know, positive net ratings and not great records <laughs> and teams like teams like the Miami heat with like, they're a negative team and they're still sort of like scrapping out little more wins than they probably deserve. And Sacramento's winning close yeah. teams and teams like the Raptors who are just like by the numbers, they're pretty like they're, they, you know, they should be like a 45 to 48 win team, but they just kind of lose a lot of like two point games all the time. Then you're like, like sometimes that just having a, a solid crunch time, go-to option in those situations in the regular season is the difference between like you know that like that that, that that might be worth like five wins sometimes or just like you know something something really tangible mm-hmm. that wins you out and obviously that carries greater value in the playoffs but sometimes it feels fluky and sometimes it's just like when you can see that it's systematic and structural it's kind of just like re- really the raptors being a big ex- raptors versus heat or raptors versus hawks is a really good example of this like one team by the numbers, looks better than the others. And they're not. And why is that? Yeah. Oh, they lose two-point games all the time and the other teams win two-point games all the time. Like, that kind of, that matters because there is this mini-game at the end of the game that you have to win. <laughs> well, there's this, I mean, crunch time is sometimes chalked up to, you know, like mental toughness or whatever. Yeah, I don't um, buy any and of I'm that not, stuff. Yeah, as an analytically minded person, I'm sure it would be hard to buy into that. But I think there needs to be something to, that's said for, you know, like maybe like processing speed is the right way to put it. Like certain guys are just going to be able to dissect what the defense is doing and figure out how to get a good shot when the stakes are really high and what the pressure's on, you know, a little bit better than everyone else. I think it can also help to have like something that works. Like Jason Tatum, for example, I think one of the main reasons he's so good in crunch time is he can pull up from pretty much everywhere on the court and get a shot that's at least pretty good. You know, he's not forcing any bad shots and he's a good enough passer where you can't double team him and and force him to take a bad shot because he will make the play. So there isn't like this clear thing that you can do to Jason Tatum to prevent him from getting a good shot at the end of games. And there is with some players. Yeah. The player that comes to mind most for this and who is my third forward lock on all of the NBA team is Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Just clearly turning games. And, and you talk about processing speed and, and, you know, trying to sort of like a apply a player quality to it. There is also this kind of like motor aspect to it. 
We're just like, yeah. <laughs> a lot of these players, like, you know, Draymond's kind of like this too. Obviously, he's not scoring a lot of crunch time buckets, but just like the guy that's getting his hands on extra balls because he's winning these competitive moments. He's sort of bringing a higher level of intensity and a higher level of focus at the moment of the game where everyone's, you know, probably at their most tired. And, and Jimmy Butler, you just see him do that all the time. Like as other players are sort mm-hmm. of like seem to be you know, high or low, Jimmy Butler, like, is locked in. And, and that's, yeah. I, I think that's the biggest reason why the, the you know, the Heat kind of win more games than they should because they are not a good team by, you know, like, any measurement. They're just not very good. And yet they're going to finish a, above several teams that are kind of supposed to be good or, like, you know, the numbers say they're good. Yeah. Well, we can move on to Jimmy Butler because I had him on my second team along with Lowry Markkinen. Lowry Markkinen was your pick. Okay, so this is where it gets – this is where it's just a mess. I'm fine with going Markkinen. Yeah. I could shuffle – how many players do I want to put in this shuffle? I'm going to say one, two – you know what? There's, there's three players I'm considering for this other spot. I got kind of a three-way tie that I don't mind. I think I'm going to go Jalen Brown. Oh, okay. I'm not – a huge Jalen Brown. I know some people love Jalen Brown because of the like resiliency resiliency of his pull up shooting game. Maybe they buy into some of the accoutrements. The the on ball defense can look really good sometimes. He's a strong physical player, but there's also these just like kind of big holes in his game. You know, just like you know, he's just, he's just a very weak ball handler and playmaker. Yeah. And the kind of offense he gets while resilient is not, it's not very like additive. He's sort of like more of a bailout scorer than a thing you can build offense around, which is fine because he plays with other players and he's like, he's in a pretty perfect role for that sort of thing. But uh, there's no denying that he kind of had a, you know, a pretty, pretty monster year this year. Like Jalen Brown averaged 26.7 points per game, seven rebounds, you know. Like a, a, a steal, he he had a he had a very efficient season by his own standards, sort of thing. But he is not as efficient of a scorer as Lowry Mark Markkinen. Accurately, mm-hmm. great. Like I only came across Lowry's nickname, the Finisher, recently. You know, obviously oh, yeah. just based on his country, but it's also that is his game. Like he's he's a pure yeah. finisher, both in terms of his spot up shooting and and his sort of like rim running, closeout attacking, like attacking the gaps. Like he's not a like creative player at all but he is a he's a extremely unique multifaceted finisher and that i mean like what there's a stat that he's the first player ever to get like 200 threes and 100 dunks in a season only player ever to do that and maybe yeah. that seems yeah, like I saw a silly, that the other day yeah seems like kind of a silly stat but what that means like i mean like we've all seen some Lowry and highlights like some of these poster dunks this year if you if you haven't hit up YouTube it's it's a you know a fun way to spend a a few minutes but yeah I mean like his contributions are are really unique now I'm going to compare him to the third player on this list though who's kind of a little bit of the opposite and that he doesn't carry that same elite scoring efficiency he subsists off the toughest shots but is like you know a million times the sort of playmaker and that's uh, Pascal Siakam is I can't quit him he's still on my list He's, he's one of the three players I'm considering okay. for this spot. So he's Siakam would be on your third team here? Yes. Yeah, I guess I so guess. So your I'm, third team's Siakam, Siakam and Markkanen? Yeah. Okay. And really for that Jalen uh, Brown second team spot, I could cycle. Like, I like move those players around all you want. I, I don't really have strong feelings there. Third team for me was uh, Julius Randle and Jalen Brown. Ugh. Randle, I can't get behind. I don't get it. Sell me on Julius Randle. I mean, I, I don't. 
I don't love the fourth quarter decision making from Julius Randle either. I don't love the first um, quarter decision making. I don't love the second quarter or the third quarter decision making with Julius Randle. I like the numbers. I get the numbers. He's definitely when I you know I, I, he is on my list of he's the fourth player that I considered in team, in terms of doing the statistical analysis. But sorry, keep going. So yeah, no Julius Randle to me he's like the anti eye test player because I feel like every time I watch the Knicks and watch Julius Randle play, and like, there's no way this guy is an all-NBA team. Should deserve to be on an all-NBA team, but, I mean, I'm just trusting the production and the efficiency being okay with Don't him. Don't do it. 25 and 10. Yep. I mean, it's a regular season award here, right? And yep. he's not necessarily, like, the main decision maker of the offense. So if I'm weighing a whole bunch of guys who are, like, the secondary players in an offense, and Julius Randle has the best stats... And the other guys, there's like a clear drop-off statistically. That's where I kind of struggle knowing exactly what to do. But I will say some other guys I was considering. Can, wait, let, let me let me hate on Julius Randle a little bit more before we before we move on, and okay. then you, and then you can and then you can bump down. So Julius Randle, just some like because you know I think the case for him is that the Knicks were really good, and he's yeah. has the best sort of counting stats on the Knicks. Like you, you look at mm-hmm. it, you're like 25 and 10 and four assists, like and he, and he shoots threes. Like how can that not be an All NBA player? But like a couple yeah. of things. A Knicks are better with Julius Randle not on the floor. They're a plus four not net rating team. And this is like we're talking about the guy who's supposed to be their best player. That's what we're. He's there's less efficient scorers than him. Like like Pascal Siakam, who we're about to maybe talk about more, is a less efficient scorer than Julius Randle. But for a high volume guy, he's a he's basically a neutral efficiency scorer so he's eating up a lot of Knicks possessions but he's not doing anything special with them he's just sort of like he establishes this baseline we're like yeah you're okay you're like a Julius Randle possession is okay we already kind of know or at least think based off any available evidence we have it's not okay in the playoffs I always like I never voted for DeMar DeRozan on any of these teams either because it's just like we all know that this game isn't real like it's just a thing that you can use to like fill space but like we're like like and to me Julius Randle is a is a space filler. I think he's one of the more talented players in the NBA. I think he's like not like he's huge. Like he's so strong. He moves really well. He's got skills yeah. as a shooter and a passer, but not enough skills as a passer and not enough skills as a shooter. Like he's kind of a little bit underwhelming based on his talent level, based on those things. He can act as a bit of a battering ram, but like I just think that he this year he's probably going to make all NBA and the and 2 years ago when he did He's just getting by on a team that's really good for other reasons that he gets to be the face of. And I just don't see it with Julius Randle when I watch him, when I dig deeper into the numbers past the initial stuff. And I think that Julius Randle is like, I think he deserves consideration for All-NBA, but like the the smell test is is very bad with Julius Randle. Sorry, Nick. Well, I mean, the only reason he's, like the only reason. <laughs> the I love Quentin Grimes. I love, is... I love quickly. <laughs> yeah. It's just a year where all of the best forwards missed an absurd amount of time. And the forward positions when you get to the All-NBA third team were pretty thin. I will say the other guys considered, if you allow me to fudge the numbers just a little bit, Jaron Jackson Jr., really close to 65 games. It sounds like it. You know, if he plays these last three, he'll be at 63. So that's that's close. And then the other guys, DeMar DeRozan, <laughs> who I'm sure you're not terribly excited to hear about. But then Mikhail Bridges and Aaron Gordon, Mikhail Bridges being that guard forward mm-hmm. kind of intermediary position. Yeah. Those are the other guys I was looking at. DeMar's also like a little – DeMar's a slightly different player now than he was when 
he was making all NBA teams, and I had, I had a problem with that. Jaron Jackson Jr. He's a better player than he was. Yes, he's a much, yeah. But yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. He, yeah, he gets he gets close in the games. The minutes he does not come any like he's like kind of off the charts, nowhere near on the minutes side yeah. of things. Like he played he played under seventeen. He might finish at seventeen hundred minutes, which is like so he's a hard disqualify for me. Even if we're you know we're gonna talk about defensive player of the year with him, but yes, I mean, but I don't really have a big problem with him being on the team. I mean, what a his offense, best offensive season ever, best defensive season ever, the block Panther yeah. trip. But yeah, I think I think the the crux here is Randall versus Siakam because they're kind of similar players. Mm-hmm. And we went in opposite directions with them. I just see like, and, and Randall actually is a more efficient scorer than Pascal Siakam. I think he plays in a healthy yeah, that's offense. Yeah, kind of where I was at with Siakam. But Siakam just, I mean, he's like three times the the you know like he averages a significantly higher number of assists and a significantly lower number of turnovers while also being a plus defender rather than a negative one and just sort of like i just like the intangibles more like you know pascal siakam in transition pascal siakam is sort of like an extra i just feel like he fits on a winning team where julius randall kind of forces you into this sort of like mediocre in between space where he's not really like hell i just feel like pascal siakam clearly does things to help i think He's in the wrong role, where Julius Randle's in the only role he can play. Pascal Siakam's masquerading as a Julius Randle, where really he should be kind of something else. But yeah, I mean, I just think I just think it's a, a much more productive, impactful to winning basketball player. Advanced stats never love Pascal Siakam because again, he's not like a very efficient scorer. But yeah, when I watch yep. the Raptors, I just see like a super dynamic player who does a whole bunch of things and is a little overtasked as a scorer. But anyways, that's just my reasoning for going Siakam on the. Over over Randall and Randall was not actually yeah. Randall was not my next cut. I had two two more forwards at least ahead of him. You and that maybe you know that may be my fault trusting the eye test or trusting the numbers too much, disregarding the eye test. That's just what I do with Julius Randall because it doesn't it doesn't really look like he's an All NBA team player, but yeah, you know the stats are there. So I so just kind plugged my nose a little bit <laughs> i had a friend like uh, i just I, so I watched julius randall drop 50 whatever on the on the wolves this year and it was like the worst 50 point game i'd ever seen it was like he scored 50 points then like two in the fourth quarter and he just sort of got hot for a random stretch and i saw someone like a you know on a high school friend on facebook being like julius randall with the 50p i was like did you watch <laughs> it it was like this is not a time to celebrate Ju- julius randall's career accomplishments they lost mostly because julius randall just started jacking weird like turnaround threes and crunch time like come on anyways i also consider evan mobley evan mobley and aaron gordon are the two guys i would have loved to put on the all nba team this year with the with the power yeah. back in those creator but i could couldn't quite get there yeah i mean it's it's no fault of evan mobley's but he's just kind of relegated to you know the third or fourth option offensively i mean yeah. i think the talent is there like it's it's gonna happen for him he's been sneaking Probably up though this, la- this last third of the future. season like he's he was he was kind of quiet all year and a lot of people didn't notice that evan mobley just for the last like you know post all-star break has just been sneakily being the evan mobley the leap that people wanted him to take the beginning of the season has sort of been happening yeah averaging 16 9 and 3 on pretty great efficiency so like numbers wise he's better than jaron jackson jr or at least comparable to jaron jackson jr and, and, and i yeah, think the he's... efficiency is better and and the defense if defensive impact probably isn't as big of a gap as you might think yeah i mean we're talking we're talking we're picking at the like the two of the i like 
Evan Mobley's on my defensive player of the year ballot. So he's not mm-hmm. ahead of Jaron Jackson Jr., but like we're talking we're like we're nitpicking at the very best defenders in the NBA. And that he's already there as a second year player is is pretty intense. Post All Star break, averaging eighteen, nine, and three. Barely ever turning the ball over, getting to the line a little bit more. Just a lot more active in transition and doing a lot of stuff. And, you know, the plus-minus numbers have gone through the roof. His numbers were messed up early on the season based on random shooting luck. It, it, it tanked all his uh, defensive metrics that calculated on-off. There was, like, when Evan Mobley was on the floor, like, teams just got really hot for three. And it just sort of, like... But he's, he's recovered from that. And now most numbers will point to him as the much more impactful defender than Jared Allen on that roster. And I love me some Jared Allen, too. But, yeah. Evan Mobley... Aaron Gordon, final, my fourth, fourth team, all NBA picks. I think that's fair. Yeah. Are you ready to do it? Are you ready to do the the big guys? Yeah, yeah. No, any, like, I guess, any other names you just want to mention on the, I also had Michael Bridges. I had uh, Draymond Green, and I sniffed around OG Ananobi for a second, and that's probably where my list ends. Yeah, Ananobi was kind of the only other guy I was really, considering there probably should have looked more at Mobley I just I didn't (laughs) I kind of just mentally wrote him off as close but not quite there this year yeah he had a quiet start to the season too so I think I think he is getting written off a little bit OG's the opposite OG was kind of like the season was like uh, petering off in the middle and then he's just been really hot for the last like the last 18 games he's like led the NBA in true shooting or something like that it's like okay making a last minute push it's not gonna get you there but uh, I, I, I'm noticing OG I, I see it I see the shooting yep let's do the bigs okay who you got first team I'm, I'm assuming there's two picks here that you could go with so I'm curious to hear who you went with went with Bam out of bio no I went with uh, yeah Nikola, <laughs> I went Nikola Jokic Okay, yeah, it was close. I kind of tossed it back and forth a little bit, but ultimately I went with Jokic as well. Maybe we should save the Jokic and Embiid chat, assuming you have Embiid's second team, even though he's maybe not going to qualify for your... No, he probably will. He'll probably get to 65 or 64 or something. Yeah, Um, no, I I have him second team. I'm I'm assuming he'll get there. If not, he'll be like one game off. So Yeah. Who was your third team center? Demontis Sabonis. All right, we got the same things. Any close any close competitors for that third spot? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually close who you would expect for third team, but the guy who I had missing out for third team was actually Porzingis because I think he's had a really, oh, really nice bounce back season like in that. Washington. I mean, the yep. stats are awesome with Porzingis. The efficiency is awesome. From what I can tell, I, I haven't watched a whole lot of Wizards games, but the little I have watched and the analytics that are available, it seems like he's picked up the defense once again and has been an impactful player on that side of the floor, you know, averaging 23 and eight. So yeah, I, he's been Washington's best player this year. Question. I'm sorry, Kuzma stands, but <laughs> it has been for Yeah. So, but you know, I, I just think the team success and the fact that Sabonis is such an integral part of the playmaking on that roster of the best offense in the NBA, you gotta, you gotta give it to him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Sabonis had an... Sabonis also, like, on that kind of capture the hearts and and minds, the imaginations of the NBA fan base for the year. Like, you know, I, I do I do need to see a Sacramento King on an all-NBA team, and Sabonis mm-hmm. is, is the is the player that's a, easiest to put on in that third center spot. And, and just, like, it was incredible to watch it. He was dominant. He, like, he was punking people regularly. And, the, and like, the, the passing doesn't get talked about enough. Like, if, if Nikola Jokic... 
was not didn't exist, would we be talking after this season about DeMontis Bonus being arguably like he he would be in that arguably the best big man passer of all time all of a sudden. Like he was already yeah. really solid in a, a season like this. Like the number of just like he just palms the ball and looks so massive and just throw like gets it wherever he wants. It's 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 really 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 fun to watch the Kings and I don't think it's fun to watch the Kings at all if, when Sabonis is if Sabonis is not there. So uh, Sabonis is basically averaging like the numbers Jokic did three years ago. So yeah, you kind of wonder if if Sabonis has another level to get through. Is he going to become like a you know the other center in the NBA who's a triple double threat every night and like you know just this offensive hub like he's He's close. You just kind of wonder, like, is this the ceiling with him or is there another step to get to? Because I think uh, if there is another step to get to, the Kings might have, you know, some some real growth opportunity, even just with the talent they have on the roster. Yeah. I don't quite see, like, the level of, like, I mean, Jokic's passing is just, it's hard to describe. It's not something that I think linear growth leads to. Like, I think that's something that's just sort of... I mean, he just throws he just throws passes that no one has ever thought of. Like, there's only a couple passers like that that I've seen in my lifetime, or even like even not just in my lifetime. I'm like going back at like only Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Steve Nash are the only players I've seen like with that kind of consistent ability to just like throw passes that I wasn't able to see. Anyways, it was so I I don't I can't picture Sabonis scaling up quite to that level but maybe you know the other parts mm-hmm. of the game he's a little bit like sturdy well i don't know if he'll, he'll ever reach the like you know behind the back passing and you know just the kind of the i just imagine Jokic has this like three-dimensional model of the exact situation on the court just playing out in his brain you know a couple of steps ahead of everyone else I, I don't know if Sabonis is ever going to quite get there, but I will say I didn't see him doing this. You know, I didn't see this player happening when he was in Indiana. Yeah. So I thought, I mean, maybe I, be surprised. I was really optimistic about the Kings going into this season. Yeah. I'm, I wasn't saying I predicted he would average like seven assists, though he's averaged 6.7 before. So that's, that's really not actually that big of a stretch. Statistically, he's not doing things he hasn't done before. But like, I thought that if they kind of put the ball in Sabonis's hands and orbited everything they were doing around him, that that was going to lead to an offense. I didn't see the Kings being like the two seed or the three seed, but yeah, yeah. I mean, Sabonis was good in Indiana. I didn't have Porzingis quite on my list. I had a Bam Adebayo and Brooke Lopez were my other considerations of center. Okay. I mean, I just, the numbers that Porzingis is putting up is just, are just kind of overwhelming. That's, that's why I have him maybe in a vacuum. He's not quite as good as those two players, but uh, he's definitely playing a larger role and really succeeding in it. I think defensively with Porzingis, there's like a lot, like there's a lot that he brings to the table, and and some things he takes off compared to like you know Bam and Lopez. I have here for, you know, defense first. Even if Bam has, even if they're both having good offensive seasons in their own right, obviously it's not a Porzingis' level. But Bam and Lopez both being defensive, defensive player of the year level players, and and Porzingis being someone who can can help a defense, but also like Washington has struggles on that end a lot this season in part because like you know Porzingis can still be put in bad situations a lot he's a player that can definitely help with rim protection does have some a lot of mobility in some situations and then looks like a statue and others kind of thing like so but yeah I mean yeah. Porzingis is, is a good I had him I had him and, and Jared Allen next at least in terms of healthy players that were available obviously you know shout out Anthony Davis who's not yeah. like I mean it's an important cut to mention because Anthony Davis is 
been a been a monster this year. Like you know, you could you can he should like I mean he maybe like he 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 should be if if people aren't being as stringent with the injury thing, he's gonna make some All NBA third team ballots for sure. If he played 15 more games or 50, 15 more games, then yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He would be the all NBA third team center, even as with as good of a season Sabonis has had. Yeah, we'll see that. We'll see the Lakers in the playoffs and we'll see what Anthony Davis has to say then, I guess. But I guess that sums up our all NBA teams. We did it. We cool. got there. But got through them in under an hour. That's kind of a surprise for us. Yeah, yeah. We kept, we, we, we're, we're disciplined, we're focused. That wraps up All NBA. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Underhand Free Throw. We'll release the rest of this episode later this week with the rest of our award picks, so stay tuned for that. Who isn't sick of the MVP debate? The Rookie of the Year and Defensive Player of the Year debates are getting kind of spicy too. If you haven't already, check us out on YouTube and Twitter. At the very least, it's your chance to clap back at our worst takes. Happy Passover, Happy Easter, but most importantly, please remember... Ball is life.